Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. My name is Michelle Beck. I'm a two-time, almost 10-year survivor of breast cancer. I am the programs assistant at Breast Friends of Oregon. And when I have time, you can find me on social media or my blog at I Never Liked Pink. And I'm so excited today because I have my people here with me. So I have four out of my, three out of my four coworkers at Breast Friends here. I have Allison Director. Allison Hancock. Sorry, I'm, I'm talking so fast because I'm so excited. So Allison Hancock, she is our executive director. She is here and she's been with Breast Friends for the longest, which is why she has the, the hard job. Uh, Alyssa Beyer, she is our patient support coordinator. And Liz Brown, she does our social media and events coordinator. And everybody rocks it. We just have so much fun. We are missing one coworker, Amy Berg. She is our programs coordinator and I'm going to do a separate episode with her coming up soon to talk about her love of art and how that really can incorporate into healing. So today we're kind of just going to lighten it up a little bit and we are going to talk about some common breast cancer fact versus fiction. There's a lot of information out there about what is what is true and what is not and some preconceived notions and I kind of just want to talk about that to say hey this is, these are some facts. And to start off with, I am not a medical professional. So I've done research and I've actually found sources that, you know, you can go back to for these things. And what I quoted or what I'm going back to is do something.org, breastcancer.org, etna.com, and the National Library of Medicine. It has a really long URL. So, and I was literally just searching breast cancer fact and fiction. So that's where I've come up with all of these questions. So, Allison, thank you for being here today. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and how and what you do at Breast Friends? Thank you, M- Michelle. I'm so excited to to be a part of your show this um, afternoon. And I'm Allison Hancock. I'm the executive director of Breast Friends, and I am a 17 and a half year breast cancer survivor. I was diagnosed in 2004 with a stage 2B uh, breast cancer. I had a lumpectomy, chemo, radiation, and a five-year maintenance drug. And um, I came to Breast Friends from Connecticut. We moved here in 2012, and Breast Friends is five minutes from my house. I kept driving by, stopped in one day, and never left. I started volunteering at Breast Friends, uh, met one of the co-founders, and just fell in love with the organization. I really wanted uh, to be able to give back to women uh, and support them through their cancer journey. I didn't have that support. I had great support from family and friends, uh, but the piece that was missing was being able to talk to another woman to talk about her journey and uh, to learn some tips and tools. And so I found Breast Friends, uh, volunteered for a couple of years and became their event coordinator. And then uh, the co-founders retired and were looking for someone to take over the organization. They asked me and I said yes and uh, have loved the opportunity to be able to lead this organization. So I've well, been, in, oh, sorry, I've been in my role since 2018. 
Well, thank you for for doing this and being here. And um, you're the one who keeps our ship afloat. So thank you. And for those of you listening out there, I just want to really highlight 17 years. So, you know, many of you who are newly diagnosed are very nervous. And But Allison is 17 years out and thriving and just has the heart to give back, as, as we all do. So thank you. And if you want to hear more about Allison's journey, she actually did a podcast called uh, this podcast, I believe in 2018 with Becky Olson uh, from volunteer to executive director. So you can find that as well. So Alyssa, tell us why you found Breast Friends and about your cancer, please. Um, Thanks, Michelle. I'm excited to be here as well. Um, So I was diagnosed with breast cancer in October of 2017. I was 37 years old and um, I guess to say it came out of left field would be a total understatement. Um, My diagnosis was triple negative breast cancer. So I went through the typical protocol, uh, chemo, surgery, and then radiation. And I just knew through all of it that I was going to want to turn around and help the women that were coming behind me specifically women um, diagnosed young. And so when I completed treatment and uh, felt like I had a little bit of, you know, finally had some <laughs> room in my brain for other things, I, um, I found Breast Friends and came in to volunteer and then was shortly hired on as staff. And now my role is patient support coordinator. So I get to talk with women who are new to breast friends, whether they're newly diagnosed or maybe like me, they're post-treatment and they're looking for that support. Like Allison mentioned, you know, a lot of us have great family and friends that help us. But when it comes to making that connection with another woman who gets it, that's really where, where we shine and, you know, really the heart of what we do. I love that. Thank you. And Alyssa mentioned being triple negative. I believe it was in 2019. You did a podcast with Becky episode as well, <laughs> talking about triple negative. So you get um, listeners, you can go search that as well. So thank you for being here. And last but not least is my coworker, Liz, and she ended up at Breast Friends a little bit of a different way. So Liz, welcome. Can you tell us about yourself and how you found us? Well, hello there. My name is Liz Brown. I'm the events coordinator at Breast Friends. I am the only non-survivor on staff. I lost my mom to triple negative breast cancer in 2008. Um, It took me about 10 years to decide that I was in a place to give back. And I started off volunteering, um, just like the rest of us here. And then I, I think... That was the end of 2018. I volunteered until um, about a year and a half ago, I guess, and then came on as social media coordinator. And now I do social media and events. So I run things like um, the golf tournament, um, our Sunday fun day in August. Anything that brings in money is what I do. (laughs) 
Well, and uh, Liz, you came on board and uh, immediately started killing it with the social media. And I love this because you accredited your skill at it with having two uh, high school age daughters at that point, (laughs) (laughs) because you had to keep up with what they were doing. So all of us were like, I don't know, we don't know. But um, while we're on it, Liz, tell us where everybody can find us on social media. So we are on Instagram as um, Breast Friends PDX. We are on Facebook as Breast Friends of Oregon. We are also on LinkedIn as Breast Friends. Remind me, Michelle, what's what? It's just Breast Friends. It's just Breast Friends. So yep. on every platform, we're a little bit different, um, but we're easy to find. We're the Breast Friends located in Tigard, Oregon. Um, all of our social media platforms are up to date with all of our latest um, activities, workshops. Um, I should say workshops that are available to the general public that we don't have information that we want to keep private, um, you know, for the safety of our patients and um, anything that's going on at Breast Friends. Perfect. And also, listeners, you can find out all of this information on our website, which is breastfriends.org. And check out the calendar. There's a real a button right on the top right of our website. And you can go and see all the things that are available to, to you for the support and community and education that you need. So let's kind of dig into what we're here to talk about today, which are kind of some fact and fiction about breast cancer. So, Liz, I'm going to direct this first question to you. Uh, it's about family history, <laughs> which I know is something that we all are like, hmm, well, I had a family history, but I'm not genetic. So is it true if you don't have a history of breast cancer that you don't have to worry about anything? No, that is not true. I guess that should have been part of my introduction is my mom was the first to be diagnosed with um, any sort of cancer, really on both sides of my family. Um and she had triple negative. Soon to follow, about five years later, my aunt was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and they both passed from their cancers. We um, don't have any family history. My Their mom lived to be 101 years old. Oh. Um, I have gone through genetic testing, and I do have an ATM variant that they are still studying. Um, but technically... You know, we don't have anything that would make us any more likely um, to get any kind of cancer than anyone else. Now, that leaves me at a higher risk for breast cancer now. Um, Mm -hmm. But my mom was the first. She used to joke around that we, like, didn't have to worry about our health because we had such good genetics. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because that kind of leads me to the answer that only 5 to 10% of breast cancers are believed to be hereditary which is, it seems like a, such a really low statistic. Now, Alyssa or Allison, did either of you have any kind of a family history? No. Yeah. Zero. My, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer right after I got married in 1994, and she was the first one in her family. And uh, I wish I had known more about what she was diagnosed with, um, Uh, She has since passed away. She passed away from another uh, cancer. Um, But I recall that she, it was like very early stage, maybe even stage zero, but there was something suspicious there. And so she did have uh, 30 rounds of radiation, Uh, but she was the first one, you know, in, in, in our family. 
she didn't do any genetic testing. Um, and so I don't know if my cancer was because of a genetic mutation or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and that really leads us to the knowledge that since so few are hereditarily passed down, that it really leads us to look at our environment and our lifestyle, what we are surrounding our bodies with and what we're putting in our bodies and the amount of movement. So obviously being fit is helpful, but Alyssa, I'm going to give this next one to you. So if you are maintaining a healthy weight, exercise regularly, you limit your alcohol, do you have to worry about cancer still? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I think you do. I mean, I think all of those things you mentioned that, you you know, taking care of yourself is important for so many things. I mean, beyond cancer, beyond physical, you know, your mental health, your, just your overall well-being. But um, I know plenty of women with, even within our best friends community that, you know, had everything all dialed in nutritionally and physically, and, you know, they still... They still got breast cancer. So, yeah, marathon runners, Olympic athletes. There's there's yeah. one woman, um, Keegan Randall. She was a she was an Olympic gold medalist, cross country skier, diagnosed early 30s with with breast cancer. And it's just so you always need to be on the lookout for anything suspicious in your body. And um, this is something that I didn't put down as one of my questions. But Allison, how often should we be doing self checks? We should do uh, self-checks monthly, you know, er every month, um, especially no matter what age you are, you need to have that um, baseline and you need to become familiar with your body. If there's anything that comes up that that doesn't feel right, you know, please go uh, to your medical provider and get it checked out. The sooner that you discover uh, that, that they can't, that you may have cancer, the better treatment options. Definitely. And a lot of organizations, and we do this as well, send, put reminders on social media to feel it on the first. And that's a really easy way to remember like, okay, it's the first of the month and just do it when you're in the shower. Make sure, you know, feel around, see if there's anything different, anything feels lumpy, it hurts, just different things. And take the time to go see any of your practitioners because they can hopefully help direct you to the right place. Now, um, so Allison, another question for you, and this came about, I wasn't really familiar with it until I was diagnosed, but how about using underarm deodorant or antiperspirant? Does that cause breast cancer? What do you think? (laughs) Um, I would say no. So Alyssa, you chuckled. What do you think about that one? (laughs) Oh, um, I, I, I don't think it does. So, Liz, but I don't know. <laughs> well, Liz, I, I just happened to have I, I read something about this that the everyone thinks that it's the aluminum that contributes to breast cancer, but you get such a minute amount of aluminum from your deodorant that most studies find that does not contribute towards breast cancer. Yes, you guys are all correct. <laughs> Even though it it's really, um, I guess, it, let's say, a medical urban myth that you should stop using antiperspirant while you are, after you've been diagnosed with breast cancer. 
and I did it. I, ch- I changed to like a rock deodorant and then this and that and all these things that don't work. And, you know, I still use safer deodorant without aluminum and parabens and all the things, which is important. But there is no evidence that aluminum in your antiperspirant or deodorant um, was directly causing breast cancer. So That's- I thought that I... Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because (laughs) it's something that we've definitely talked about. Like when someone is diagnosed, like, oh, did you change your deodorant? And and I'm like, well, yes, but now I smell. (laughs) Right. (laughs) With all the working out that we're doing to stay healthy, we have to use deodorant. (laughs) It works. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. So this leads to another thing, which um, is kind of a funny. So many media reports in like the early... 2010s or so, and then there was a huge media uproar about it in 2013 because of Dr. Oz, that many women, and I've done this myself, carrying your cell phone in your bra. What do you guys think about that? You have any thoughts about that, if that can cause breast cancer? Probably not, but I'm not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I would say no. Yes. And it's funny because, like I said, that Dr. Oz did this whole big presentation on it and don't do this and this and that. And there is no evidence that putting a cell phone in your bra for any length of time will cause breast cancer. It actually is more common to cause brain tumors because of the radio frequency radiation. So... That's, you know, that's okay. Keep it as, yes, we hold our phones up to our ears <laughs> and it, you know, it is what it is, but they, it is more likely to cause that than to cause breast cancer. Hmm. I so didn't I, know that. Yeah, I know. I, I learned a lot when I was researching for this show. <laughs> so listeners, we are going to take a quick break. So please stay with us. If you would like to donate to help Breast Friends continue on its mission to ensure that women do not go through cancer alone, you can text BF Radio to 41444 or go on our website, breastfriends.org and click on that button. You can also check out patient programs on our website to see what Breast Friends can do for you. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444. Or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and I have my amazing co-workers here from Breast Friends. I have Allison Hancock, our Executive Director, Alyssa Beyer, Patient Support Coordinator, and Liz Brown, who is our Events Coordinator and also rocks all of our social media. So we are kind of talking about some common breast cancer questions, whether they're true or false, and you know, a lot of information is out there. So next, I want to talk about what we put into our bodies. So Alyssa, I'm going to start you off with this one. So can too much sugar lead to breast cancer? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a hard no. (laughs) So, no, I, I mean, I have, I cannot cite anything, but I have read many um, articles and studies that have shown that, you know, sugar does not cause or feed cancer cells um, from my understanding, and I might be wrong, but, you know, sugar does, I mean, sugar goes through our whole body and mm-hmm. it, it feeds all of our cells, mm-hmm. you know, but it doesn't target the cancer. It's not going to make it grow faster or anything like that. Um, and I know when I was going through treatment, you know, my oncologist never restricted anything I could eat, you know? So I would think if that were true, she would have said. Cut down on the cupcakes. Yeah. 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 So. So, well, you are, you are generally correct. So there is no direct evidence that sugar causes breast cancer. It is a very common myth that sugar feeds the cancer and will speed up its growth, but actually all cells, whether they're cancerous cells or healthy cells, use sugar in the blood where it's called glucose as fuel. And while it's true that the cancer cells consume sugar more quickly than normal cells do, there isn't any evidence that excess sugar consumption causes cancer. However, there is a caveat to that for those people who are have been previously diagnosed with estrogen positive cancers, which is myself. The more over the ideal BMI that you are, which the BMI is, I think, always a little, a little nutty, but the more excess weight you have on your bodies, those fat cells actually can produce estrogen in your body, which mm-hmm. I actually didn't know about until a recent podcast episode that I did with TJ Hills talking about estrogen in our bodies. So that was the first time that someone really explained to me that excess weight is can lead to recurrence because it actually can produce more estrogen in your body. Hmm. So I thought that was very interesting. And is that extra, or is that specifically for women who had estrogen positive yes. breast cancer or mm-hmm. that yes. like across Specifically the board? for estrogen positive okay. because we, those of us are trying to cut down the amount of estrogen in our bodies or cut it off completely. The 
fewer fat cells you have to produce estrogen, the less estrogen that will be in your body. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, What about uh, Allison? So you are probably the most non-drinker in our group. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can have a few glasses of wine. She's yeah, even going to the wineries. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you, yeah, we definitely the need to set. The rest of us are drunks, apparently. Non-drinker. <laughs> I'm not saying we're drunks, but that is true. So, okay, well, Allison, I'm still sending this question to you. Can alcohol cause breast cancer, or I guess overconsumption of alcohol? Um, I'm going to say no. I think you know we do need to be mindful of you know what we put in our bodies, you know, whether it be alcohol, sugar, you know, all those things, you know, fat, you know, those extra fatty foods, you know, we all need to be more mindful of what we put in our body. Uh, But, you know, having a glass of wine, you know, every now and then is not going to cause cancer. So interestingly enough, alcohol is actually labeled as a carcinogen. Mm -hmm. It increases the risk uh, for many cancers, including cancer of the breast, liver, colon, rectum, esophagus, head, and neck. So, um, Liz, do you think that any type of cancer, or excuse me, any type of alcohol is better than another if you're going to be drinking? I don't know. I want to say it's better to drink red wine, but I have no idea. I mean, I know our bodies treat, treat alcohol like a toxin. So I, I don't know. <laughs> so actually, it doesn't matter what type of alcohol you are drinking. For these purposes of increasing cancer risk, they're all the same, whether it's beer, wine, or hard alcohol. There, there is the, the knowledge out there that red wine is for heart health, but it's, it's really interesting how it can help your heart health, but it can also raise your cancer risk. So... <laughs> The, the best advice out there is know the information and if you are going to drink, drink in moderation, knowing that you're comfortable with the information that is out there. So that's the best answer I can give for that one. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard people say like, if you're, if you're going to have a glass of wine or, you know, a sugary treat or something, like if you can have that and enjoy it, that is great. But if you're going to feel guilt and stress over it, like that's going to be worse for your body than just enjoying a glass of wine. Um, That's sort of how I look at it. Yeah, definitely. The um, hormone, hormone cancer dietitian, uh, Kathy Lehman, she's been on here a few times. She talks about that and really it's not about stopping the things you put into your body. It's all about knowing the risks and moderation. And if you feel like you messed up today, well, tomorrow's a new day. Don't beat yourself up. Enjoy what you're going to enjoy and then move forward and try to continue your healthy practices. Yeah. So, okay, Alyssa, next. Um, I don't know how you found your cancer, but in your knowledge, do you think annual mammograms guarantee that breast cancer will be found early? No, I mean, it's a tool. It's definitely a tool. Um, and I think that women should be getting annual mammograms, <laughs> but um, 
No, I mean, first of all, I was not even 40 when I was diagnosed. I was not receiving mammograms. You know, I found I felt my lump in the shower. Um, so that's why it's important to know your body starting at as young as as you young know, as you have breasts, actually. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, just knowing what is normal. Um, I know that mammograms don't always find everything. So, um, but you are 100% correct, but I still want women to go get their mammograms. So I'm trying to be (laughs) careful with what I say. (laughs) No, that's okay. Mammograms uh, are the best early detection tool that we have. It doesn't always find your breast cancer at an early stage. Uh, It found mine. I, I've been diagnosed twice, both with stage one in each breast, and I would not have found it but for my mammograms because they were both very small and very close to my chest wall. So for me, I definitely say mammography saved my life because I had dense breast. I was large breasted at the time. And if I hadn't done them, it would have been a very much later stage and a much different outcome for me. So definitely keep doing it. And like you said, know your body, feel your body. So you have the wherewithal to know, okay, this is something different. Let's go get a mammogram or an ultrasound. So, and always important to be your own advocate. And yes. for my and for my breast cancer, uh, I had gone in for my yearly exam and my doctor had felt something. And so she told me to go uh, schedule a mammogram and ultrasound. I had both of those. And it did not pick up on either of those. It didn't pick up on the um, mammogram or the ultrasound. And I was diagnosed at age 40 and it could have been hormonal. I could have just had a cyst there. So we actually waited three months uh, to see if it was hormonal. It was still there. And then that's when uh, I had it uh, taken out. I had a lumpectomy Mm -hmm. and that's when it came back as cancerous. But it all shocked the the doctors because they felt like that it should have shown up on on those uh, tests. And it didn't. Uh, so even though it doesn't may not show up on a test, you know, please, you know, go get your yearly mammograms um, if you're 40 or, or over or if you have some, something uh, suspicious, mm-hmm. uh, you know, please, you know, be your own advocate for that. 100%. Okay, so we're going to move on. Uh, Liz, I'm going to put this one to you. So... It's always heard that, oh, if it's, if, if it's something that hurts, it's not cancer. You know, cancer doesn't hurt. Is it true that if, a, if a lump is painful or moves freely around your skin, it's not cancer and you don't need to worry about it? No, that's not true. If you have anything at all, <laughs> you should worry about it and have it checked. Right, because we don't know. We are yeah. we are not doctors. We we don't we don't have mammograms and ultrasounds and biopsies in our in our bathroom. So it is super important to 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 that's one that really is, you know, you have that we really have to debunk because everyone's like, Oh, cancer doesn't hurt. Or, you know, breast breast cancer doesn't hurt. Well, actually it can in indefinite some forms there, especially when it's um, different, there are different types of breast cancer that mm-hmm. do hurt or if they're more around the nipple or different things. And so if, it, if you have a lump that is a lump in any way, super important to go get that checked out. So next we're going to talk about 
uh, early stage breast cancer, which uh, I was diagnosed stage one both times. So is it rare, Allison, for early stage breast cancer to return? No, it's not. Trying to stump you on that one. <laughs> so what, what they say is there's always a chance for recurrence. Um, low risk, which is not aggressive early stage hormone positive breast cancer has a 15 to 20% chance of recurrence. Generally in the two to five year mark or in that time frame, but even though many consider five years the all clear that if it didn't come back in that time frame, it, it's not going to come back. That is not true. So there's always a chance that it come back. So we we unfortunately can't ever stop being vigilant and paying attention to what is going on our bot in our bodies. So Alyssa, I'm going to direct this next one to you because there's a lot of talk about there on social media and different things about the additional things that we put in our body. Do you know of any magic supplement, vitamin or herb that is going to cure your cancer? Um, no, I do not. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? That would just be a lot simpler than everything that we go through. Yes. Yes. No, I mean, the only, I, I think supplements have a role in, you know, pre- prevention and, you know, helping with side effects and things like that. But um, no, I believe that that you need to go through the standard of care, I guess is what you call it, um, for your particular cancer. And fortunately, I mean, they're learning now that some cancer, some breast cancers don't, you know, you don't have to have chemo. Um, you know, I know they're coming up with new tests all the time to check, will your tumor, you know, is it beneficial to stay on your you know, AIs. I am actually literally waiting for results on that test right now right. as we speak. Um, so, yeah. you know, they don't want, the, I try to always tell newly diagnosed women, you know, they don't want our oncologists, at least this is my belief, they don't want us to suffer more than we have to, you know, but you have to weigh the pros and cons of the treatment and, I think they're always looking for ways to try to make it easier uh, or better. And I think that's why I I think personally, it's always good to also speak with an integrative medical practitioner because they have different ways that they can supplement your cancer treatments, whether it is vitamin C injections, or let's, let's look at these supplements that I need now post-cancer, um, I need a lot of magnesium and we need vitamin D because we live in the land of no sun. And there's certain things that definitely are more helpful, but there has not been any direct evidence to show that, you know, this, uh, this supplement or this herb is really going to take it away. So trust our doctors, but always ask questions because you need to know all the information about what is going in your body, whether it's chemo or radiation or your supplements. So, okay. The next one, and we are going to talk really quick about artificial sweeteners. This has been a challenging one for me because I love Diet Coke. And we've been talking about aspartame and they also mention one called Exulfame K. Liz, do you know 
I'm sure you've heard about these things. How do you feel about their increasing cancer risk? Well, you know, I hate artificial sweeteners, but I'm not sure actually if they cause cancer or not. I do believe myself that your body doesn't know what to do with those. And they deposit, sometimes they, your body doesn't know how to get rid of the artificial sweetener. So it will kind of hold on to it and that can cause health problems. But cancer, I don't know. Actually, there are studies out there showing that increased consumption of these two particular, the aspartame and the axulfame K, definitely have an increased risk of obesity-related cancers, which includes breast, colorectal, stomach, liver, mouth, head, neck, esophageal, ovarian, endometrial, and prostate. So literally once I read that fact, I was like, oh, God, I really have to stop. I've, <laughs> I've, I've cut down a lot. But um, if you are going to use artificial sweeteners, stevia and truvia are the those ones. Aren't that, those are artificial. Thank you. And, and tr- Truvia is a brand name for Stevia. Okay. Well, perfect. <laughs> See, one, one of my websites called that out separately. Um, so go for Stevia if you're looking for any other sweetener that is not sugar or the, the bad aspartame. So we are going to take another quick break. Listeners, stay with us. If you would like to be my guest or send me your warrior story, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. Stay with us. We'll be back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and I have my Breast Friends staff here, Allison Hancock, our Executive Director, Alyssa Beyer, Patient Support Coordinator, and Liz Brown, 
events and social media coordinator. So we have been talking about common misconceptions and questions about breast cancer and just wanted to share them all with you today. So my next question, uh, Allison, I'm directing this one to you. And uh, I, I do not think you've ever participated in these activities, but it's good to uh, good to think about. Um, can you or anyone else get Botox or dermal fillers after cancer treatment? Yes, you can. I don't see. Yeah. It, you, yeah. I mean, I know you can use Botox for headaches, for migraines. And so I don't see, you know, any reason why you couldn't use Botox. You are correct. So there is no data that anything having to do with these injections can cause cancer. However, you should wait until treatment is completed. So I just thought was that thought that was a funny one. I was like, huh. Okay. <laughs> it was on like a very short list, short list of questions. Um, I was like, okay. So um, I think I'm the only one on this call who actually has breast implants because I had a full mastectomy with reconstruction. But um, Alyssa, what do you think about can implants increase the risk of further cancers? Um, I don't, I guess I don't know the answer to that, I would, I would, well, I don't know. So it's, there's been interesting studies lately, um, not so much increasing the risk of cancer, but there's a couple different things that you should look at. If you are going to be getting additional scans later on, if you have concerns, um, your implants can get in the way of your scans, which, you know, so they just really have to be vigilant in knowing what what they're looking at or looking through or looking beyond. Um, I recently myself had an MRI of my breast because I had some concerns and there was no problem. So like that was great. Um, no problems with the implants in the way or any concerns, which is, you know, happy, happy day. But there is something that has come up in the few years, uh, breast implant syndrome, that not everyone's bodies accept the breast implants. So after your if you are someone out there who has gone through this and you have breast implants, you need to be really mindful of any potential side effects in terms of fatigue, not feeling well, headache, just overall, or any different rippling in the breast area, just really be mindful of what is going on. And again, just bring those issues to your doctor and say, Hey, I just, I think something's not right. So always good to keep that in mind. And, um, and with breast implants, you also, you have to have them replaced every 10 to 15 years. And I was asking my doctor, she goes, well, they're kind of like tires. You get only so much use out of them and you have to get new ones. I was like, huh, okay then. <laughs> so I thought that was really interesting. I think Liz um, had a comment. Oh, I was just going to say when, so when you go in for any type of imaging, they always ask you um, if you have implants because your appointment will take longer. So yes. your mammogram is going to take longer. Your MRI is going to take longer. Your ultrasound will take longer. So they do um, take extra care when you have implants for all the breast imaging across the board. 100%. And for me, um, I, I have very little breast tissue left, so they don't do mammograms anymore because I have my implants. And it, it does vary on a case-by-case basis, but... I used to get the letters from the hospital after I had my implants, like, it's time for your mammogram. I'm like, just put it in your file. Leave me alone. (laughs) Okay. So I I don't know who gets the next question. Um, We're going to say, Alyssa, 
what is the most common age for women to get breast cancer? A range. Oh, wow. Um, like currently? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, 40 to 50. Allison, what do you think about that one? I'd say 55 to 65. So Allison is, is more spot on. Um, I think our demographic at Breast Friends is a little bit skewed because we do have more younger women coming in, but we really support all women who are have been diagnosed, whether they're from, you know, as, as early as in their anytime, 20s to 80s. We are there for them. But the median age currently for women to experience breast cancer is 63 with right now the most frequently diagnosed between 65 and 74. So it is still a disease that affects older women more predominantly than younger, but the number of younger women is increasing. So right now, currently 5% of women diagnosed are in their 20s and 30s, but that number is definitely rising. Breast cancer is actually the most common type of cancer for women age 13, excuse me, 15 to 39, which is a really sobering statistic that there's, to me, that makes me feel like there's something else that we're doing to our bodies, whether it's environment or, you know, what we're putting in our bodies that is really contributing to younger and early stage breast, early age of diagnosis of breast cancer, which is just awful to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard one. It is. And at, at Breast Friends, we do, we've, as past couple of years, we've really had an influx of younger women being diagnosed. And I'm thankful that we have our programs because it has been so long looked at as a disease of older women. And while statistically that still may be true, I feel like the younger women who are diagnosed are even more emotionally affected because they're at different points in their lives. Yeah. And you know, sadly, a lot of times <clears throat> they're further, you know, they're, um, there's for, what's the word I'm looking more for? More aggressive? No, I mean, yes, but there's, you know, there's later stage. That's what I was looking for because, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't taken seriously by a provider when they went in with a concern or they themselves didn't think to you know, go to a doctor about something. So. Right. Because they're too young for breast cancer. Right. And, you know, I never, I had never done a breast self-exam in my life. And I was just very fortunate that I felt that I was able to feel my lump just washing my body. And, and I was fortunate that I took it seriously and that my doctor took it seriously. So. Yeah, I can see how you just would miss something. Definitely. And like and but actually, Allison, the numbers show that younger women are being diagnosed later stage and more aggressive mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. So definitely we everyone needs to be really proactive and paying attention to their bodies. So next question, Liz, how do you think um, pregnancies can affect your risk or non-risk of breast cancer? Well, I'm reading a very interesting book right now, so I don't know how to answer that because they used to think that the excess estrogen that was produced during pregnancy um, 
would make it more dangerous if you're diagnosed during pregnancy. Um, but they're finding that's not always the case now. So I don't know what to say. I don't that, know. That, that part is definitely correct. So what I found in my research that women who give birth after age 35 have a higher risk of breast cancer than those who have their first children at younger ages. So that includes myself. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And one thought I thought was really funny, the more times you give birth, the lower your risk of breast cancer. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. And when you have your when you have your genetic testing and breast cancer risk done by a doctor, um, that is one thing that they take into account because my sister who didn't have kids until her mid 30s has a much higher risk. Well, not much higher. It's like 4% more, but <laughs> still <laughs> higher. She has a higher risk for breast cancer than I do because she had kids later in life. Mm-hmm. So oh, interesting. I didn't know that about the multiple yeah. kids. One, one of those fabulous websites I mentioned told me about it. <laughs> does, uh, does it account or talk about breastfeeding at all? Or is it just pregnancy? And- um. There was some talk about breastfeeding, but honestly, I can't remember the the actual um, uh, information I, information to actually say it on here because I don't yeah. know. <laughs> okay, I was just curious because yes. I I'd always heard that breastfeeding is um, reduces your risk. I I believe that was what it had said as well, which is interesting for me because I was actually not able to breastfeed. My son had um, his skull plates were out of alignment. So we just had latching issues. So for me, I had a child after 35 and I was not able to breastfeed. So for me, those things put me immediately at a higher risk. But then I had children before 35 and breastfed and I (laughs) (laughs) And and I had... My children, 36 and 37, and breastfed. So, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, sometimes we're just the lucky winners, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I'm, you know, thankful for, for an organization like Breast Friends that, you know, can support women who are diagnosed with breast cancer. You know, that's so important to be able to, uh, to help them on their journey, answer questions, and let them know that they aren't alone. One hundred percent. So, um, Allison, do you do is sorry, not do you know is breast cancer the number one killer of women? No, you are correct. Not not to like get to the end of the show on a down <laughs> note, but uh, <laughs> I think it's important to share that fact because it is very scary, and especially for us, we're we're surrounded by it all of the time. But it is not actually heart disease is the most common thing that women do end up passing of. Which, you, which there are studies which show that the different things that we do to stop the cancer and get the cancer out of our body, unfortunately, can re- lead to heart issues. Well, also just going through menopause and not having estrogen in your body, whether it's natural or, you know, induced by cancer treatment causes you know, or can cause heart disease. Yes. And yeah, the, the lack of estrogen in our bodies because of menopause or um, chemically induced via surgery or the, the medication for those who are estrogen positive, it is no joke. I'm here to talk about that all day long. So unfortunately, that's a, a whole nother episode. So 
really quick in 10 seconds, Allison, what is your favorite part about Breast Friends? My favorite part about Breast Friends is seeing women who have participated in our programs and want to volunteer and give back. Perfect. Alyssa, what about you? Just the sisterhood and community. And, you know, there's, it's so empowering to walk into a room full of women who get it and know what you've been through. 100%. And Liz, you're coming at it from a different perspective. So what do you love about Breast Friends? I love going into the office when we're all there and working together. <laughs> and I know that's not the answer you're looking for, but really that's like the best part for me. No, it is. Yeah. It's it's it, being back together, especially after these last two years has been really wonderful. So I just want to say thank you all for being here today because I, I knew that we could come and have a good time and really share some helpful information. So thank you all for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank yes, you. Michelle. Yes. We'll so, have to do a part two. Definitely. So listeners, if you or a loved one need our services, please go to our website, breastfriends.org and check out patient programs to see what we can do for you. You can also make a donation in the upper right corner. There's a donate button to ensure that we are able to continue in this fabulous and really important work that we do. And you can also text BF radio to 41444. You can find our show on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel or wherever you can find your podcasts. And now all of the 2022 episodes are on the Breast Friends YouTube channel. So please find it, search it, and subscribe. If you would like to nominate yourself to be your my guest, not your guest, my guest, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.